0: As we uh, kind of dig deeper this morning into that exploration of the vastness of the Father's love, uh, let me um, begin, and if you'd like to kind of get ahead of me for a moment uh, and turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 6, where we'll be this morning, uh, let's um, just want to, to share a couple um, prayer requests just for you to lift up because um, one, uh, very often you see um, Bethany Cook here um, with the worship band. Um, Bethany's not here this morning. Her her, father, and, no, mother-in-law, I'm sorry, Ray, her husband's mother, um, passed away last week on um, Monday and that she had been ill and, and the family knew that it was coming, but um, they've been in I believe in Memphis this week. Am I remembering that right, John? In Memphis, uh, and uh, so we want to we want to keep them in your prayers, and then um, we want to continue to be prayer for prayerful as I know many of you have um, for those who have been um, so tragically um, just devastated by the violence in Oregon and what has happened there and. Um, I, I, I mean, How many times have we stood and had these kind of prayers? I, I don't have it. I'm not going to stand here and try to try to find qu- solutions. They're not easy and, and certainly not going to try to make any sense of it because that would be p- impossible. But just to continue to challenge us, remind us and invite us to be in prayer for those. And there's a lot of um, accounts that are coming out. I tend to try to wait a little bit um, before... Um, you know and let some of the details sort out, but we certainly um, at least from what we're hearing there were some heroic, heroic actions and people to be uh, honored and celebrated in the midst of this those who um, the the I think the marine that that ran headlong into it to protect others, um, those who who claimed the name of Jesus even in the face of their own death um, and so those stories are going to come out and and it doesn't justify any of it, but it allows us to see God's hand in the midst of it. So I just wanted to challenge us and remind us to keep that up in prayer. And then on a much lighter note, to kind of shift gears real quick, um, we know that a lot of you are, are relatively new with us. A lot of you have been with the church for a long time, but um, if you are somewhat new in the last six or seven months, um, we're we're heading into, just to kind of prepare you, this is one of our um, transitional times of the year. This is one of, October is a month of migration for the church as it is for the area. And that means a lot of our friends are migrating back south from the north. October and January tend to be our two months where we see the, the, the migration patterns. And, um, and we're thrilled, and if, if you're back with us today in this service, uh, we're thrilled to have you back. I'm just sharing that with you to let you know, be prepared for as we get into the season. If you've not been here in the wintertime, uh, the 815 service really, really swells. I mean, that's where we get a lot of our northern friends. And so as you start coming in, you're going to see more cars. So just be careful. Be patient. Uh, my challenge to you always is if you are healthy and able-bodied, celebrate that. And a good way to celebrate that is park a little further away. Um, and, and I say that sincerely because we have so many folks in the church who do need to be close who do have physical challenges, and those that come in and this service tends to overlap a lot more into that 11 o'clock hour. So, so in all seriousness, if you are healthy and able, one of the things you can do as a gift of, of giving is to move out a little further in the parking and save the close spots um, for those who genuinely need it. So, And remember, you can drive on the grass. In fact, I highly recommend you come in that way. Because it'll save you kind of the cars and some of the traffic, but just be prepared if you haven't, and if you if you have and you know, um, then then you kind of know it's it's a wonderful time. We love to have all our friends back. It's really a lot of fun, but it is um, a little more crazy. So just be prepared for that. So, which is a good time to talk about prayer. So uh, let's let's move into that. This morning, our scripture comes from. Matthew chapter 6, as you can see, verses 5 through 13. And these are words I can confidently say are going to be familiar to all of you. Because if you've never heard the Bible, if you know nothing of the Scriptures, if you're totally exploring faith, and if you are, welcome. But you've heard these words because we just spoke them a few moments ago. This is Jesus uh, giving us the model of prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to back up a few verses before that, though, and pick up at verse 5. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord God, speak to our hearts, to our spirits in these moments. Speak through the reading of your inspired word. Speak through these words that they come from your spirit. And that they would draw us to faith, to obedience, that they would draw us close to Christ and to each other. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you come in on a Sunday morning, and when you get your bulletin and when you sit down, um, how many of you go and look to see what the sermon title is? How many of you kind of set up the scripture? Maybe some of you read ahead of time. I know some of you do that. But I I intentionally left the sermon title um, vague this morning. God is. And then I didn't finish it. And I know, obviously, where I'm going. I know what, in these moments together, we're going to talk uh, is part of the character and the nature of God. But it would be interesting if we had the time to survey all of us and to see where your mind went. I left that kind of vague because I wanted to allow you to just have a moment where your you, you kind of finish the sentence yourself. God is. Because that would be fun to see all the ways that we would describe God. I, I'm going to assume that, that for most of us, if not all of us, it would be very positive and affirming attributes of God. If, if, if you had to fill in the blank and you filled it in, that it would be things like um, God is love. That's where a lot of us go because we, we've heard that Bible verse. God is love. Uh, maybe God is faithful. Or if you've been in churches with the the responsive tradition god is good all the time that's right all the time god is good um, god is redeemer god is gracious god is loving i mean there's there's no shortage of the ways the the faithful appropriate ways that we can finish that sentence and the reason is because the scriptures the narrative the, the body of of the the old and new testament Have so many ways in which men and women who encountered God would describe God. Many ways that they came to understand their relationship with God. God as creator, God as deliverer. Remember, Moses and the people of Israel would have understood God as deliverer, God as provider, God as judge, God as um, guide and strength, and peace, and hope. I mean, there's just thousands upon thousands of ways that we can describe who God is. But I would imagine that, at least in somebody's fill-in-the-blank in here, we would have encountered this. God is Father. That that at least a few of us would have went to that descriptive understanding of God because especially if you've grown up in the church or been in the church for a lot of years, it's a very common way in which we refer to God, that we pray to God, that we address God, God as Father. But what is really interesting and what surprised me, I didn't know this, is that God being described as Father is actually very rare in the Old Testament. In the 39 books that make up two-thirds of our bible it's really quite rare for god to be described as father in fact some scholars think it's as infrequent as about 15 times in the entire old testament That really surprised me. I see some faces. I I wouldn't have thought that. Now, there's discrepancy among scholars because, remember, they're translating out of Hebrew and languages don't always translate as easy. So you may find different numbers. But the point is, it's not a lot. God is not often referred to as Father in the Old Testament or described in that kind of a relationship. And the reason that surprises us is because many of us are more familiar and more um, often here the, God referred to that in the New Testament. In fact, 15 times in the Old Testament, roughly, God's referred to His Father. But when you turn to Matthew, and you turn to Mark, and you turn to Luke, and then you include John, we know that at least over 60 times, God, Jesus refers to God as Father. Three or four times in just this passage alone. In fact, some scholars believe, again, because of translation difficulties, that in the, the Gospel of John, it's probably over 100 times that that Jesus refers to God as Father. And and the truth is that would continue into the epistles as as Paul in his letters refers to God often as Father, and and so do others. It, It becomes this very common and familiar way to understand God. But it's also difficult in some ways. In fact, when I was in seminary, referring to God as Father somewhat fell out of favor. Um, it, was, it was not understood to be a, the best way to refer to God because there are some pitfalls of that. It, it tends to make us think of God in a male or a masculine sense, which is not our understanding of God. He's not male. He's not female. And it can bring some baggage with it because I know and I've said before that that we understand that not everybody in here has a positive experience with a father or your father. And so there can be some baggage attached to the word. And so there was this kind of push in some theological circles to kind of abandon that. Let's not use that kind of language because it has some danger to it. But, But I think that's swinging the pendulum way too far. In fact, One of the discussions came up in a theology class. It was actually a year before I took it, but the story circulated among the Divinity School when I was there. And one um, student, one young lady, kind of respectfully challenged the professor, this theology professor, and said, why do you refer to God as Father? And he looked at her and very respectfully said, young lady, Jesus referred to God as Father. I'm going to refer to God as Father. And while it's simple, I think it's very powerful and very poignant. Jesus referred to God often and frequently as Father. And I think we do a disservice to our understanding of the special nature and the relationship we have with God when we abandon that. We've got to name the challenge it has for some people, but we don't want to abandon it. Because when Jesus brings that in, to our understanding. When Jesus brings that into his ministry, he does something radically different with that word. He alters drastically the way that the people of of the Jewish people had understood what it meant to have God as a father. You see, in in the Old Testament, that understanding was was a description of the cosmic God, the creator of all things, the God who spoke and we came into being, the one who put the wheels of creation into motion. So it was this kind of cosmic, distant God that was our Father, the one who was responsible for our very being. That's who they spoke of as Father. So it wasn't a personal kind of relationship. It It was a distant reality. But when Jesus introduces God as Father, he does something that got him in trouble because he introduces God not as a cosmic and a distant reality, but as up close, real, and a personal presence. He introduces this understanding of God who is as real to us as our mother or our father on this earth. In fact, the word he uses that is translated out of the Greek is pater, It's father, pater, and it is probably the translation of the word, the, the Aramaic word, Abba, which I've talked about before, which literally means daddy. It literally would be, in fact, scholars say that very often it could have been the very first word a child would speak, Abba, daddy. And I would tend to believe that, except we know better, and we know that kids never speak daddy as their first word. It always is mommy first, and then it's daddy. And so it would have been the second word that a child might have spoke. And no, I'm not bitter about that. But I was told this morning, I don't remember, that Cassie actually spoke daddy first. So maybe I'm misremembering the narrative, but but it was a real personal connection. It was a deeply close experience of who this God is. And so Jesus wants us to understand God's relationship to us differently. And so I find it powerful and incredibly significant that here in Matthew 6, when Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to us a model for prayer, when he begins that prayer, of all the ways he could introduce the object of our prayer, the direction of our prayer, a powerful Lord, mighty God, creator and sustainer, all the ways that he could have introduced God into the prayer, he begins with these two words, our Father, our Pater," our Daddy. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting prayer to begin with? How many ears would pop up if I started our prayer that way? Our daddy. But that's what Jesus does. And so we need to spend a few moments. We are wise if we spend a few moments allowing the significance and the understanding of who that God is to kind of sink in and begin and further shape us in our relationship with God. So let's look at those two words. God is all of those things we could have described, all the things that popped into your head, but God God is our Father. Now let's start with our, O-U-R, because that is an interesting inclusion that is really, really easy to overlook. Because in Matthew chapter 5, or I'm sorry, in chapter 6, before we get to the Lord's Prayer, verse 5, Jesus is talking about prayer as a deeply personal and a private thing. He's challenging the disciples and the followers not to turn prayer into a a demonstration, not to use prayer as a means to draw attention to yourself. That's the problem he has with the example he gives of the hypocrites who who stand on the street corner and want everybody to see them praying, or the pagans who pray the long prayers with many words. The the problem is the the challenge and the really condemnation Jesus has there is that prayer isn't about hearts connecting to God. It's about look at me, you know, look at me kind of moments. And so he's saying let prayer be a deeply personal and, and often a very private thing. And so it's interesting that when he then gives the model for this kind of Private prayer, he doesn't begin with my father. He begins with our father. And he reminds his disciples as he reminds us that even in our personal prayer, even in our quiet moments alone with God, we are connected. He says to his disciples, You are connected. Now, there's no be- reason to believe Jesus ever had a, um, a vision that this prayer that he's teaching would become a prayer that would be recited in worship congregations for thousands of years, as it has become, and I think that's an appropriate use of the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus is talking about that personal connection with God, but even in that one-on-one relationship, he wants us to remember, it's not your God, it's not my God, it's our God. We are still a community connected. We need each other. The disciples would need each other. We would need each other. We are called to always, as Paul would say, put the needs of others above ourselves. That's what he says we talked about in Philippians. In Hebrews chapter 10, Paul says, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. So he knows that truth that we have talked about, that our connections, our relationship, in light of our relationship with God, that matters. I stumbled across a poem by Maya Angelou, which I had not heard before. But it summed this up very succinctly, but I thought in, in a significant way. She says, Lying in bed and thinking, How can I find a home Where water is not thirsty And the bread loaf not a stone? I came up with one thing And I know I am not wrong. That nobody, I mean nobody, makes it all alone. Nobody, not nobody, makes it all alone. We need each other. And so Jesus begins, our, our. In fact, today, you know, today is World Communion Sunday. The first Sunday of October is set aside for World Communion Sunday, where we remember that we celebrate the sacrament, as we will in a few moments, we celebrate it not just across our worship services, but across the world. That as we take communion today, that our brothers and sisters at St. Francis are taking communion. And our other brothers, I don't know how many churches, I don't want to assume other churches are doing communion, but it reminds us that, that our We're not bound by church signs and location, but we're united together with our Baptist brothers and sisters and and our independent brothers and sisters and Harvest. And I mean, any church we can name, we're together, our Father. So he begins with our, and then he moves to that descriptive word that we're familiar with, Pater, our Pater, our Father. And he describes in these moments in prayer as he would throughout his ministry, this unique and powerful relationship that we have with God through Jesus that it's important for us to spend a few moments on. Our Father. Now, it's right for us to ask the question, as often as Jesus talked about Father, what is so special about this relationship? What's this image of God that Jesus paints look like that's so different than the Jewish people would have been familiar with? And so Jesus gives us a picture of what that father looks like. Jesus gives us a a story to wrap our minds around so that we can understand the character and the nature of the father who we're called to have a relationship with. And that story is probably familiar to most of you. In fact, it's found in Luke chapter 15. And it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Now we think about that in terms of the son because he becomes the object of the title. In fact, if I was titled in the story, I would call it the story of the spoiled brat because that's what it is. That's what it is. If you're not familiar with the parable and I challenge you to go read it, here's the nutshell version. Spoiled brat wants his inheritance before his father's dead. That's what he wants. He wants his money, but he doesn't want to wait for dad to die for him to get it. So he says to so dad, fork it over. And in, a, in a, an act of, of love and accommodation that I cannot fathom. Dad gives him the money. Wouldn't happen in my household, thank you very much. <laughs> Wouldn't go very far with it either. <laughs> Brian's looking at me like, really, what? Um, but he gives him the money, and Junior basically goes and lives every way possible to be as far away from the values and the, the model that, was, that he was raised in. I mean, he goes, and he parties, and he blows it, and he finds himself broke, and he, and he sinks so bad that he does the one thing, the most menial thing for a Jewish person to be doing. He's feeding the pigs, the unclean animals. Jesus wants you to know that this kid has fallen as far as he can fall, and finally, in an act of desperation, he goes home. He goes home thinking, at the very least, I can serve in my dad's house and be better taken care of than I am here. If you know the story, you know that the father sees him while he's a ways off and he runs out and he embraces his son and he welcomes him back to the family and he restores his place and he showers him with the love that had never left and the boy is home. George Buttrick said that there is no story that encompasses the gospel more powerfully than the story of the prodigal son, not just for the father but for the son and for the brother as well. But see, the thing is, the story is not really about the Son. This is why I think we've mistitled it. It's really about the Father. It's about the Father and the kind of love the Father has for his Son. And Jesus tells that story because he wants that story in our minds. He wants us reflecting on that story every time we pray, Our Father, because it describes so powerfully the character of. Of the Father that we're invited into a relationship with. So here's what we say when we say God is our Father. First we say this, God is an inviting Father. God is an inviting Father. Prayer reminds us there is not a moment in your life, not in a moment in your experiences when you are not welcome into the presence of God. God's door never shuts on us. When I was growing up in Jacksonville, when Dad served Main Street United Methodist Church from the years I was in the first grade to the seventh grade, the, the parsonage, which is the house of the pastor, if you don't know the, the, the terminology, the house that we lived in, the house that the church owned, that the pastor and the family lived in, it couldn't have been any closer to the church unless they were actually affixed. I mean, there was about 30 yards in between the coming out the side door of the house into walking into the door of the office. I would say that it was a stone's throw, but that would imply you'd have to actually throw hard. It was a lob. (laughs) And and between the house and the church was the church parking lot. Well, in the parking lot, it was the driveway to the parking lot that was in the back. And so what that meant is that even when Dad was at work, he was a 30-second walk away. And here's what I remember. I remember in my mind and in my experience and in my memory, his door was always open. I mean, I would go over all the time after school, and I would sit in his office, and I would just pop down on his couch, because he had a couch there, and I would just talk, and hey, this is what went on today, and, and share. I don't ever remember feeling ever that I wasn't welcome in his office, that, that there was a time when we were inconveniencing him. Now, I'm sure there were moments when he needed to shut his door. I'm sure there were times when he had counseling appointments and other things. But I'm telling you, that wasn't my experience. I don't remember that. What I remember is I was always welcomed. In a far more significant way, that's what Jesus wants us to understand about our Father. We are always invited in. Even the son in this parable, when he left, he left whether he knew it or not with an invitation that at any point he was welcome to come home. That's the character. That's the nature of God. That's the nature I which I lived into. Better. I mean, there's the challenge. I hate it when my own words come back to kick me in the pants, but I don't do that as well as my father did, and and I'm not going to look at the front row for the affirmation right now. But I can tell you that that seriously, I would. You know, Tony's in her mind thinking, Yeah, you don't, because um, <laughs> I don't. Because sometimes I communicate. Now I'm busy. In fact. I hate the way the Lord does this to me. I absolutely hate it, but I need it. A couple days ago, sitting in my chair, working on something, maybe the sermon, Ryan came in, he's watching TV, and he's like, Dad, did you see that? And my first response was, no, Ryan, I'm working. Working. And you know what I said? I said, right now, this is more important. Don't bother me. I know that's what I said. I, that's not what the words I used, but that's what I communicated. So here's the, the joint challenge, is to recognize the nature of the Father and to be more like that which most of us, I fall short of. But God doesn't. God doesn't fall short. There's not a point ever when God's going to look at us and say, now's not a good time. He invites us. So God is an inviting father. Here's the second truth. God's a waiting father. And not just waiting, anxiously waiting. I mean, you know the way you are as a kid? The night you go to sleep before Christmas morning, you're waiting, but you just can't wait. I mean, you're going crazy for the morning to come. Well, we know that's the nature of God as our Father. He's waiting for us, but it's a, just a desperate longing for us. And we know this because this parable tells us that when the father saw the son a long way off, the son never made it home initially. Remember that. He didn't have his reunion with his father in the house. He didn't even probably have it on church on, on the, the family property. It says the father saw him. A ways off, and he ran to meet him. Now, how does a father see his son a long way off? He's looking for him. Every day, he's looking for him. He's desperate to see the the silhouette of his boy coming home. He's waiting, hoping, praying, ready for his son to come home. That's God. We wander away. We Go our own path, and God waits longingly for us to return so that he can embrace us, the father who runs. And we don't catch the power of that because we're not familiar with the culture, but in the day of Jesus, a father didn't run. It was beneath him. It was unbecoming. Jesus, God didn't care. The father, he waits to receive us. So God as an inv- inviting father. God is a waiting father. And brothers and sisters, hear this. God is a forgiving father. He is a forgiving father. The young man comes home, and all he wants to do is be a servant, just have his basic needs met. And what does the father do? He restores him. A robe on his back, a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. Have a feast, an honor of my boy. In fact, it was said, who was the one person that was disappointed to see the, the boy come home? The fatted calf. But everybody else was excited. Everybody else was excited. Sorry, that was just right off the top. Um, But he welcomes him home. He does not hold his transgressions. He does not hold his sin. He does not hold his mistakes against him. He restores him to the family. God is a forgiving father. No matter how far you've wandered, how bad you think you've messed up, and we've all made some messes in our lives, some more noticeable than others, but there's no mess you've made. There's no mistake so deep that God isn't waiting to restore you to the family because He's a forgiving Father. Inviting, welcoming, forgiving. That's who God is. There's a lot packed into that word, our Father. But we're invited into that relationship. I said it was World Communion Sunday, and what's neat about church traditions is that there's a lot of different ways that we experience communion together. In various, some, many of you have grown up in a variety of traditions, whether it's um, like the Catholic Church where you, you drink from the common cup. Some of you probably, you know, where you literally drink. I remember the first time I took communion that way. freaked me out because I, I wasn't prepared for it. Also, the first time I ever took communion, I grew up Methodist, so it was always grape juice. So the first time I remember going to an um, Episcopalian church, and taking communion out of a common cup that had wine in it. I was like eight. <laughs> that was an eye-opener. The, the blood of Christ never tasted quite that way to me before. <laughs> but there's a variety of ways. Some in some churches where you come and kneel at the altar. And then even here in this service by intinction. In some service we pass it around the, 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 the seats depending on the season. The point is there's a lot of ways we receive and we respond to God's invitation. But I want to tell you one thing I absolutely love about the way that we do communion is that you come. You come if you're able. Not everybody can come. And and I understand there's sometimes physical realities that, that don't make that possible. But if we are able, whether it be physically or spiritually, we come. We respond physically with our bodies to an invitation that Jesus gives to the table and to the relationship through him to our Daddy heavenly father. That's what Christ calls us to. I know not everybody has a great experience of an earthly father. Not everybody has the greatest and most favorable impression when they hear the word dad. I do this, no matter what those experiences may be, you have a pater. You have an Abba. You have a daddy in heaven who loves you and loves me more than we can begin to understand who invites us, who waits for us, and when we come, who welcomes us. I pray that you've come, that you've responded to the invitation, and you've opened your heart in Christ to the one who calls us child, (coughs) daughter, son, and invites us to call him dad. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the relationship in Christ that you offer to us. Help us to respond in faith and gratitude for who you are and what you have done. We pray in Christ. Amen.